this is gonna sound crazy. I don't really even listen to house music. Really? Uh, yeah. Like ninety five percent of what I listen to is hip hop, and okay. I just pull a lot of from that. But also, like in my belief, is like if I'm listening to a bunch of house music from all of these artists, subconsciously that's gonna creep into my mind, and that's gonna come into my music, and now I'm not being original. Welcome to Elevated Frequencies, the show that gives you access to the next level of house and techno so you can explore an elevated lifestyle. I'm so stoked for you guys to hear today's episode with Bijou because we get into one of my favorite topics, which is where you pull inspiration from as an artist to make your own art. And we get into a lot of tips and techniques on how you can like step outside of your own niche and pull inspiration from other industries to take your craft to the next level. Thank you so much for joining me. It's so nice to talk to you. You as well. Good to meet. I'm excited. Yeah. I I was doing a little bit of research on you ahead of uh, the show to see if you've done any other interviews. And I learned a lot of interesting things <laughs> that I want to expand on. Okay. Okay. But first of all, let's cover the bases. So I'm very interested, um, and maybe this is like a little bit of my ignorance, but you're you make G House and G House is very familiar to me living in Chicago, but I did not know that it w- like reached Arizona. So like, how did you and G House come to be? So it's funny because I saw you had done the episode with Destructo mm-hmm. and my first introduction to it was from him. Mm. Uh, he had played hard. I forget what year it was. I think 2011. It might've been Day of the Dead or Hard Summer. And he played this song by Torn Foot called Rondo. Okay. And I was like, wait, I was, I'm a huge hip hop head. So I was like, they made house music and they put hip hop lyrics over it. And there's like these bass sounds that come from like West coast hip hop. What is this? What's going on? And I was like addicted immediately. Yeah, that's cool. It's, um, that's the best part about house music is that it takes influence from all these other genres and you can make it what you want to make it. Mm-hmm. Literally, you can pull from everything. And that's what I do now is like, I'll literally pull sounds from like dubstep or trap or things of Mm -hmm. that sort and be like, well, this will fit here. This will fit here. And I feel like that's how you can be innovative and kind of do your own thing and be your own artist. Yeah. And I'm sure it helps keep it fresh too, because, you know, I'm not a producer, but I know a little bit from my friends that sometimes you could be sitting looking for like the perfect drum sample or whatever forever. And it's like, you get so deep into it. Sometimes you do need to take a step back and like, think about, well, what do they do in other genres? Maybe that helps like spark creativity. hundred percent. And I think that sparks my creativity the most. Like Mm -hmm. I don't really, this is going to sound crazy. I don't really even listen to house music. Really? yeah like 95 percent of what i listen to is hip-hop and i just pull a lot of from that but also like in my belief is like if i'm listening to a bunch of house music from all of these artists subconsciously that's going to creep into my mind and that's going to come into my music and now i'm not being original that's a that's a really good point It, it is a subconscious thing because i think like just the simple fact that heads get or s- songs get stuck in your head without you even realizing it 
you know, and you're just humming to yourself and you're like, did I just hear that in the grocery store or whatever? I could see how that could creep into your brain when you're producing. 100%. And I'll find that is I'll be working one day on a song and then I'll come out of like that space of flow and listen to it and like actually listen, be like, oh, that's the baseline from that song that I've haven't been able to stop listening to for the last three days. So we're going to have to change that. Yeah, that's funny. I never thought about that. Yeah. And that's like a big deal because you don't want to unintentionally like plagiarize or, Mm -hmm. you know, not be original. So, um, so I'm really interested because this show is all about like, yes, the music, but more so the creative entrepreneur behind it and Mm -hmm. the challenges that come with being a creative entrepreneur and, and more importantly, the triumphs. And what I learned about you is that like, you were like on the edge of saying like music might not be for me. Like, I don't think I can do this anymore, but then something changed. So walk me through that. So it was 2015. Um, so in that time frame, G house had kind of shifted, right? I mean, edge and dance were really big. It was huge in Brazil. It was like decently sized in like the UK, but it wasn't really a US sound yet that had gotten big. Mm-hmm. You know, so like as someone who strives to be innovative, it was difficult for me because I have to kind of create this full space from nothing. You know, like yeah, Destructo was doing it, Dr. Fresh was doing it, Wax Motif was doing it, but like there's no one from Arizona doing it. People don't really look at Arizona as like a source of house music, you know? So I kind of had to develop this scene here and then take it elsewhere. And I was ready to quit. And I had a relationship with Wax at the time that was like, we were somewhat close. And I sent him an email and I go, Hey, here's this new song. It was called I'm a dog. And this is something I just finished. I'm just at the point now where I'm ready to quit and do something else. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I had retired from playing professional baseball and it was just like, I'm going to try and figure this out. I was working at Jersey Mike's, you know, just making sandwiches, trying to make it happen. And he never responded. And I was just like deflated, you know, Mm -hmm. but a few weeks later, he used to do this thing on Facebook where he'd put his top 10 songs um, of the month. And when he posted that, the song was number two. So I was like, okay, maybe he didn't respond to the email, but this is even better. Yeah. And that like kickstarted me to be like, okay, I'm not going to quit. Maybe I have something here. Two weeks later, Tony, Dr. Fresh signed that song to his label at the time, Prep School Recordings. I was like, okay, we got to keep going. And within that two week time frame, I had a couple meetings. And this is funny because um, I haven't told this story very many times, but I got a call about working with Kevin Federline and (laughs) random, right? (laughs) And I was like, at the time my manager calls me, he's like, yo, I'm at work. So I'm like, not even supposed to be on the phone. He's like, Hey, Kevin Federline needs a new producer. Um, what, uh, what do you think about that? And I'll go, I would rather work at Jersey Mike's. And I hung up. Shut up. Oh my (laughs) God. Shut up. Okay. That's a great answer, by the way. You passed. (laughs) Thank you. Uh Uh-huh. So, okay. So then what happened? So I keep working, right? These things are happening. I'm excited. I'm like, cool, whatever. I'm just going to work. Two weeks later, everything came in two week timeframes. It was weird. And I get another call and Thomas is like, yo, Kevin's coming to town. 
he wants to meet, he wants to have dinner. And I'm like, dude, I already told you no. I don't like repeating myself. Like, he's like, just have dinner with him. Just at least meet him. I'm like, cool. We're going to go to dinner, blah, 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 pick the place. And I meet him. And he's like the nicest dude in the world. Like would yeah. give you his shirt off of his back. Okay. So Plot I learned, twist. Yeah, I learned two things that day. One, don't judge a book by its cover, right? Because obviously in the media, he's getting destroyed as Britney Spears' husband, as this bad guy. Mm-hmm. And two, don't shut down opportunities immediately until you really understand the full scope of them. All right, you got me there. That's, that is a good point. <laughs> but, I mean, I was a 25-year-old kid that had no idea what I was doing. So I was just like, nah, I'm good. I don't want anything to do with that. And we started working together and I quit my job two weeks later. No way. So Kevin Federline was your parlay into a full-time music career. He was a piece of it. Yes. But he was the big, he was like the piece that really changed it. Wow. Okay. I'm processing. (laughs) That is a crazy, that's a crazy story, but you made a really good point. I have, um, I've like eaten crow before from doing the same thing, like saying no to something automatically. And then you realize, okay, now I have to backtrack mm-hmm. and, um, it, that's embarrassing. <laughs> so, it, but it's, but it's cool that you took the meeting, you did it with grace and look at where it took you. Well, I'm not even going to front. Like I literally took the meeting cause I was a broke kid and just wanted to have a nice dinner. That's valid. That's valid. And I love that you're so open about the Jersey Mike's thing, because I feel like a lot of people in this day and age of like influencing and flexing and whatever, they don't want to show that they like built something from nothing. Like they, mm-hmm. they want to make it seem like they always had it like that, you know? Um, and I think it's really important to hear, cause this is, the, this is the reality for m- majority of producers mm-hmm. is you know, they didn't get the golden ticket. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of nepotism and whatever, but that's not the case for the majority of people. Correct. You know, and it's like, I personally think that to have that struggle and know how it feels to not have a whole lot kind of pushes you to want to, uh, like it pushes you even harder to be like, okay, this is what I really want with my life. You know, this is what I want to do with my life. If I hadn't gone through that and like my parents, like my parents have done a great job, you know, I can't front, but they didn't just hand me everything, you know, they're like, you got to work for this. Like I was living at their house. They were nice enough to be like, you don't have to pay rent. Like you can just go work. And I was fortunate enough, like during that time, the year and a half I worked at Jersey Mike's to take any money I had and travel around the country, meet promoters, meet people in the industry anyone in the scene to try and connect with all the people I possibly could to make it happen. That's, that's awesome too, to, um, to admit that as well, to say, Hey, my parents helped me. Like, I feel like a lot of people on the other side of the token are like, Oh yeah. Like I did it all myself, whatever. Like you're just being very honest about what it took to get you to this point. And people need to hear that more because, um, yes, you put in the work, but there were pieces of the puzzle that helped you be able to, to continue to put in the work and focus. hundred percent. And if any, if there's a single artist, it's like, I did everything on my own. They're lying. It's just mm-hmm. like, I'm sorry. You're just lying to people. Like, and I don't think that there's enough 
upfront honesty in the music industry, in my opinion. So that's why I'm so vulnerable. And I'm like, here's my story. Here's what I did. Here's what I do. If you want to be a part of it, cool. If not, cool as well. Yeah. Yeah. Simple. And and by doing that, you like attract the right people into your circle. 100%. And I can say that like my crew of friends and people within music are definitely all very authentic. That's awesome. It's it's so neat. I mean, it not only translates like face to face when you're talking to people, but I what I feel um almost like like I'm proud of myself that a lot of like the artists that well all the artists I choose to interview on the show and the artists that I listen to are cool as fuck. I'm like that translates <laughs> in your music. Like it was the music that drew me to you, but then I find out that you're also a good person and that is just I don't know. You know what I mean? Like it comes through in the, in the art. hundred mm-hmm. percent. Did you listen to my music like before this, like prior yeah. to? Oh, so, sick. so my brother actually won, um, one of your remix contests as well. What? Yeah. Um, his name is Prapa. I don't remember. I can look no. what song it was. Isn't that crazy? Prapa is so sick. That's your brother. Yeah. It's my brother. What? I know. I have that song like on my SoundCloud and everything. Yeah. So he was the one who introduced me to you a, a while ago. Him and I have always been into dance music, like since we were little, but we've always, you know, shown each other artists and stuff. And he, you know, he loves your stuff. Obviously, he entered the contest. And yeah, that's him. That's so cool. Yeah. Cause like my label manager, Josh, he's like, that's so funny. We were talking about Prapa like two months ago and we we're like talking to him about like signing some music. Good so. to know. Yeah. 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 We're, we're big fans of him. Just so yeah. you're it's, it's mutual. It's mutual. And, um, he, he definitely is like, has the same principles of, you know, authenticity being real, like, and, and again, I think that that's so important because that helps you find people that you actually want to work with. hundred percent. And I think that's, that's the best part when you get to work with your friends, it's so much more fun. Mm-hmm. It it's is. It is. Um, on the other side of the token, have you ever, so as like a creative myself, you know, I do like a lot of videos, content, whatever. Do you find that, I mean, I guess it takes a certain level of maturity, but sometimes when I do work with my friends, I have a harder time being direct if I don't like something. Mm -hmm. Have you ever found that that's the case? Because music and art is subjective. So like there is no one right answer, you know? Here and there, yes, but there's always a way to deliver it that's not going to be defeating. Mm -hmm. And there's always a way to deliver the message where it can be constructive and helpful so that the project goes in the direction that's right for the project. You know, Mm -hmm. like Tony's a perfect example. Tony and I work together very consistently and him and I are very, very open and honest with each other. But that's also because like we're like best friends, you know? And we know how to separate the business aspect of it and the personal. So if I send him something and he's like, yo, this is total shit, it's not going to hurt my feelings. And it probably is total shit because he's not going to lie to me about it. Right. You know, but there definitely is instances, but I have found, I think it was earlier on in my career where that was the case because I was more like, yo, I want to work with these people. I want to grow and this and that. And not saying that was the wrong thing to do. But I bet the projects could have been even better if I would have been totally transparent and honest with them and been like, hey, maybe we take more time here. Maybe we fix this or do this or do that just so that it's right. 
Yeah. You know? And someone who's really good at that actually is that I work with is Martin Horger. He's mm-hmm. guided me a lot in that direction because he's very specific and very particular to every single minute detail. Right. And it's like, he doesn't rush anything. He'd rather take more time. So it's right. And I found that when you do that, everything just comes out so much better and it's so much more natural and it's, it's longer lasting, you know, Mm -hmm. which is very, very important in the sense that I feel like music itself, if it's going to be big music and big records, it has to be timeless. Yeah. Yeah. Some of my favorite tracks of, you know, are ones that I've heard, you know, for the past 10, 15 years. And that's a really good point. And I think that comes with um, like, you know, you have to go through it. You have to make your mistakes and learn. You can't just like leapfrog over the learning process, which I think a lot of people these days want to do because they just want to like, bam, get that viral moment, like make it start touring, you know, headline festivals, whatever it is. But it's like the difference between making a mistake when only a couple thousand people know you versus hundreds of thousands. It's like, you need to make your mistakes when you're still, you know, a little, you know, you're growing. Correct. But I found, I found that like, I still make mistakes sometimes, you know, and sometimes I'll do it purposely just to kind of test run things and be like, is this going to work or is it not? Because yes, I have built this space with my fans, but like, if I'm trying new things, how do I know they're going to be receptive? Mm-hmm. You know, so like I got to test run things sometimes and that's yeah. just part of trial and error. And sometimes you're going to win. Sometimes you're going to lose. And like, that's fine. I'm down to lose. It's not going to hurt my feelings. So I'm just going to keep going and try something else. Yeah. Well, what you said just now is like your reaction, like, and to, if it's a, if it's a considered a fail, that's like the maturity you gain from going through the experiences. Like, so something that comes to mind. So I used to be like a TV news reporter, like reporting like crime and politics and all this depressing shit. (laughs) And my first market was like this. I was in Iowa. Okay. Like I was in like a rural part of Iowa. It's a smaller market. You start smaller and you go to bigger and bigger cities. And I remember there was one story I accidentally put on the air where I didn't blur out like on this Facebook post, like a bunch of like F bombs and stuff. And thankfully it was like the Saturday afternoon news, which nobody watches, Mm -hmm. but like I was like spiraling and I'm like, I am like looking back. I'm like, I'm so glad that happened there rather than like when I made it to a bigger market. Cause I would have known how to like respond and whatever, like, cause you just, it's going to happen. It'll always happen, but it's, it's your response to things. And that just takes time. And so bringing it back to like music and working well with others, um, it takes a lot of different components to like bring one song to the public. And so you have to learn to work well with others. A hundred percent. And something to kind of build off of that too is like, yeah, that may have been what people would consider a failure, but in a lot of ways it's also a win because you got to learn something from that. And it's an experience that you can take forward to be even better next time. Yep. Yeah. I, I believe that like fully, like no losses, only wins and lessons sort of thing. 100%. And it's funny, I'm reading this book right now called Emotional Intelligence Mm. 2.0. And that's teaching me a lot in that realm of things. And it's funny because the majority, I'm learning that the majority of people that are like, own these massive corporations and these massive companies, 
they don't necessarily have the highest IQ. They have like the highest level of EQ, which is what they call emotional intelligence. Um, Mm. And it's a different space than having like a very, very high IQ. And that's something that's of interest right now for me that I'm trying to find a way to translate into music. And I just started that book last week and it's fascinating. That's really interesting. I, I love that you're, so I talked about this the other day. I think a lot of people think in order to be better at their craft, they need to like dig deeper into the same thing. But what Mm -hmm. you're saying is like, I'm taking something about like personal development or something about the corporate world and then seeing how that translates into music. Like you're pulling inspiration from outside of the niche of music. Totally. Because I mean, if you think about it, right. Every think about like a massive business, right. Let's say, how did, what did I relate this to? I was talking to someone last night about this and I was relating like the NFL to music, right? So if you think about it, okay, artists in regards to what's hot and the trends, right? Unless you've really built this space where you have a diehard fan base that is just consistently growing and is going to ride with you no matter what, then you don't have to follow trends at all right? You don't have to move with the times. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have that space or don't have it all the way, you're going to kind of have to shift with the times, right? And the way I related it is because like, I'm a huge Bills fan. So I'm like super in on the NFL, right? Mm -hmm. And I've, I follow how things go with that too, right? And right now what's happening in the NFL is a lot of it is going towards entertainment and offensive minded coaches, right? And I'm finding that if you're not shifting into those offensive minded spaces, right? Some of these teams are failing, right? Mm-hmm. And then I thought about it in the realm of music. Like, okay, if people aren't shifting with the times musically and finding a way to stay authentic to them while also shifting with it, there might be a decline or a plateau as well. And that's something to kind of think about in regards to going back to where we just started with this is like, you can take pieces of everything in the world into whatever your space is. Like it could be music, it could be art, it could be sports, but all of it connects, right? So why not try and have pieces over here and bring them into music? Here's a perfect example. So I'm like diehard Nipsey Hussle fan and he's like the entrepreneur's entrepreneur, right? Mm -hmm. And he was trying to figure out something that would be impactful for one of these mixtapes that he did. So he was reading this book. I think it was called From Good to Great or it was... One, Good I forget to Great to Relentless. Is that it? I think so. It might have been a different one. Okay. I forget, I forget. But within it, there was this place in Philly, this high-end restaurant that was opening, right? Mm-hmm. And they were trying to make an impact and be different. So what they did was, is they're like, yo, we're going to put a Philly cheesesteak on the menu that costs $100, Right? And the managers were like, this is crazy. It's not going to work. And they're like, just trust me, do it. It's going to have a wow factor. Immediately, everyone was like, $100 cheesesteak, we got to try this. And it was a hit, right? So what he did was he took that concept and was like, yo, I'm going to take this into my album and I'm going to do a meet and greet and you're going to pay $100 and you're going to get an album. You're going to get a t-shirt. You're going to get a meet and greet. And it was the first person to ever do this. And... Mm -hmm. He sold like, I think it was like 10,000 of them. Yo, Jay-Z was so enthralled by what he was doing, he bought a 1,000. 
Wow. And it made this massive impact, you know? So that's like a perfect example of how you can take things that a restaurant did, right? That wouldn't relate to music and bring it into that space. That's so, that's so cool. Um, There's another really great uh, like there's a book on this concept that you're talking about, but it's more so like, di- like directly related to career. It's mm-hmm. called smart cuts and it tells different stories. So it's basically all about like how you don't have to climb the ladder in your industry. You can like ladder hack. And so like, similarly um, it told a story about how this heart surgeon team at this prestigious hospital went and studied with formula one pit crews for a month to learn how fast and intricate they were and then took those principles to heart surgery. And like, there's all these crazy stats about like how they've improved their processes and success rates and whatever. And I was, and it's kind of like the same thing. That's so cool. The book is called contagious. Like why things catch on. That's what it's contagious. I'm going to write that down because I love stuff like that. So good. Like he has, go ahead. No, I was going to say you're a big reader. I love to read. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you like physically read books or do you listen? I, I physically uh, read books. I just, I did listen to one recently. I forget what it was called. Matthew McConaughey's book was incredible. Really? Um, yeah. Did he narrate it? He did, which made it even better. Yeah. It's, I think they're equally valuable. Like I didn't ask that to be like, oh, do you, you know, like what, cause I do both because sometimes I'm like cleaning or folding laundry and I, you know what I mean? It's much easier to listen. So I, I'm a big audible person too. Yeah, that was, a good, it's called um, Green Light is what it's called. Green my, Light. Yeah, my therapist actually was like, yeah, you should read this. You and him have a lot of similarities. And I was like, there's no way me and this like famous whatever guy have anything in common. Then I read it and was like, yo, him and I are like the exact same person. Really? Well, what's your current, what's on your bio? You said you're the EDM something. Oh, EDM Peso Pluma? Oh, yeah, EDM Peso Pluma. So you have to change it now to Matthew McConaughey. (laughs) (laughs) EDM Matthew McConaughey. Oh, my God, that'd be funny. Yeah, that thing just started, like, I didn't even know who Peso Pluma was. And then, like, fans started tweeting at me, like, yo, you guys look the same. And I'm just, like, I just ignored it for a while. Then it kept happening. Is it the long hair? It's the long hair. I'm, like, my hair's pulled back right now, so, like, you can't tell. How long have you had the long hair? I started growing it the week before Lala 2022. So we're at like a year and a half in. Oh shit. Your hair grows fast. Yeah. And it's like down to here. That's crazy. Do you just, were you just like, I just want to do this or was there a reason? Yeah. And I I just was like, I'm going to switch it up. I'm going to do something different. I've had long hair before, like 2012, 2013. I had hair like down to here. Oh, okay. So we're kind of going for that length again. And then I'm going to keep it for a while. They allowed that at Jersey Mike's. Jersey Mike's didn't really have a lot of say in what I did, or I just would not listen. <laughs> Yo, my uh, my manager there was younger than me, which was crazy. It was wild. That, at Jer- oh, at Jersey Mike's was. Oh, at Jersey Mike's, yeah, yeah. yeah. That gets uncomfortable. I'm hitting the age now. I'm 31. I don't know. How old are you? 33. Okay. It's like same, same shit. And I'm hitting the age now where I start looking at athletes or certain celebrities that are like popping off right now. I'm like, cool, you're 24. Like that makes me feel, you know, I'm very like everything happens in due time, but sometimes Mm -hmm. it is a little weird to see this person, you know, and they're like 22 years old and it's like, holy shit. Yeah. It's wild. But I mean, it's different for everyone. Everyone's time comes at a different time. It's very true. I mean, I feel like my, I don't know if you feel this way, but 
I'm almost 32. Um, the second I turned 30, my life changed for the better somehow. Like this is the best decade ever. I, you couldn't pay me to go back to my twenties. Yep. hundred percent. And one thing I tell people when I turned 30, I felt like I got respect from like the older generation. Finally. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you guys like, don't think I'm a kid. Uh, yeah. It's like literally even at 29, they still don't respect you. But as soon as you hit your thirties, like something changes and people just start listening to you. And it's mm-hmm. like, I remember being in my young twenties, like frustrated, you know, in work, like not getting that respect. But I mean, I don't want to say that I, I mean, I definitely look at people younger than me in the workplace. I'm like, Oh, you know, you have, you have a lot to learn, but mm-hmm. not in like a condescending way. It's just, it's true. Like you kind of have to, you know, your twenties are very young in the grand scheme of things. They are. And you have a lot of life to live. And like nowadays people are living longer, you mm-hmm. know? So like everything's happening later. People are having kids later. People are getting married later. Yep. Like my, my grandma's like, yo, when are you going to get married? I'm like, yo, grandma, just like, let me live. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cause it's not a thing. Like you're, you're in the outlier if you're married in your thirties Yeah. So or have kids like that's, that's crazy. It's just different. Like I think being in the music industry and definitely someone who tours consistently, like that's a tougher road for me, you know, cause like mm-hmm. I want to have a family and have children and all that. So like it's something I got to think about, but like now is not the time. Right. It's um, you have to find the balance that works. Mm-hmm. And pe- you got to find the right people in your life that are going to understand. Like you can't, you know, I, I feel like it's a tough, um, especially dance music is so tough because it does heavily rely on touring, mm-hmm. maybe more so than some of the other genres. Like you don't see, you know, you're, you could be somewhere every single weekend of the year. And that's not typical for like, I don't know, country. Yeah. Maybe it is. I actually don't know, but. Well, I mean, country and like hip hop and that kind of stuff, they'll tour for like three straight months nonstop. Mm-hmm. And then they're in the studio album working on this. It's different. Like, dude, I had two weekends off since May. That's brutal. It's yeah. I was home for five total days in September. Are I you, guess. and are you still in Arizona? Yeah. I'll, I lived in LA for like a very short period in like 2021. And I was just like, this place sucks. Like, I'm out. Like, I got to go. And I just, I haven't looked back. So I'll, my family's here. I'm in Arizona for good. Like, this is home to Yeah. Me. And it's not because you aren't home very often. So when you do get to be home, it's nice that you can see your family and it's familiar. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. Like, I, it's funny. My parents live near the airport. So I go park. It's just like an excuse to see them. Like, I go park my car there. My dad takes me to the airport. And then on Sunday, he'll pick me up. That's awesome. I love that. It sounds like they're really supportive. Extremely. Like they, they've come to a lot of shows. Like my mom got to meet Shaq. My, they came to Lala. They came to EDC. Like they've that's been to a so lot of cool. stuff. That's, that's really, really cool because mm-hmm. I know for sometimes for older generations, they don't necessarily get, get it or get like, just like the festivals and that whole like atmosphere. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, they're very open-minded. And my dad was also in music when I was first born. So he gets okay. it. That's awesome. Was he like, did he play instruments or sing? Um, he was a manager. He he does sing. He does play drums. He plays guitar. So like he has a whole music room like at the house, which is cool. It's like his little man cave. That's awesome. Um, but he was a manager. And it's funny because when he retired, I think he retired five years ago, maybe four, like a year after he's like, 
I'm going to start managing the band I was managing again, but just locally. And he was like booking him all these local gigs and he was all excited about it. And he did that for a couple of years. That's really cool. That's nice to have that in the family. And I, I read too, or, or maybe heard on an interview that you started off like promoting. Yeah. Yep. It's funny. Like I was a promoter, literally just handing out flyers and all that. And it's funny you bring that up because a few weeks ago we did a pop-up in Phoenix at first Friday and we got like a thousand flyers printed and I was like back to the roots of where it started handing out flyers and all that. It was so much fun. That's great. I've been thinking about that a lot lately because there are like in Chicago, you know, there's, there's still promoters, Mm -hmm. but I feel like with social media now and like basically the responsibility that's been placed on a lot of artists to do a lot of the promoting, I don't see, there's no like, um, the, the whole promoter thing is not like it used to be. It's different. I think it, I mean, I don't know why that ended. Well, a lot of it is because it's digital. Like, dude, yeah. back then I'd play local shows and I'd sell like 50 to 75 tickets, like mm-hmm. hand to hand. Right. You know, like that's unheard of these days. Like that just doesn't happen anymore. And I think cause it's all gone digital and I don't know. I miss the good old days of having like an actual ticket in your hand Mm-hmm. I'm like collecting it and be like, I went to these shows and this like, yeah, but people don't care about that kind of stuff anymore. I think it's going to come back. Everything that's old becomes new again. And like people care about like vintage and mm-hmm. you know, like I have, like I always say that I have one shoebox full of stuff that if my house caught on fire, I'd take my dogs in that shoebox, And that does have like tickets to like different things. And you know, you know what I mean? So I don't know, maybe, Maybe we can inspire someone to bring it back. I think I think that would be fun. That'd be super fun. That's funny you say that because I have the same thing. It's like this one drawer of stuff. Like if my house burned down, I'm taking this drawer of stuff and I'm out. And my yep. computer. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, 100%. That's got all the valuables on it, the music. So we've covered a lot of ground, but I always like to ask before you know we wrap up, I like to ask artists, like it's tough right now getting, getting your foot in the door. There's a lot of competition. Um, and there's a lot of like competing messages on, you know, whether you should participate in trends or how you should go about, you know, um, building your career. But is there anything like that you can say to someone that maybe is feeling discouraged because of the environment in dance music right now? What, what should they be doing? Um, currently I think economically it makes it more difficult too. Um, cause of yep. where we're at currently as an, uh, economy and we're seeing that on the touring side as well. Um, so don't be, don't feel down because you're not the only one going through it. Cause like, we're definitely feeling it touring as well. Ticket sales aren't like the greatest right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, from a simple standpoint, I think you just need to do what's going to make you happy in the long run. And if that's continuing to push into the space of music, do it and do it because you love it. Not because you want to be a touring artist or because you want to be famous or any of those things or have all this money, do it because you love it. You know, that's why I got into this. I was a raver. I was like, this is incredible. Like I want to be on the stage because that just looks fun. You know, I didn't think about like the crowd or the things that come with it or any of that. It's just like, in the end, you need to do what is going to make you happy. Otherwise, your life is going to suck like straight up. If you're not happy with what you're doing, then how do you expect everything else in your life to be good? You know, because it really, really just starts with you. And I think that 
that's something that people forget, you know, like if I wasn't here, this project wouldn't exist, you know? So if you're not doing the things to make yourself happy, how do you anticipate and expect the project itself to blossom? You know, because now it's coming from a space of darkness and unhappiness. So how do you expect to make anyone happy if you're coming from that space? Right. It's a big thing. You got to You got to heal your mindset and, and do what you love and, and, you know, not chase the BS. So thank you for that. Of course. 100%. And thank you for doing this. This has been really cool to talk to you. And uh, I'm just looking forward to seeing everything that you got planned in the future. Thank you. I appreciate the time as well. Healing your mindset is something I talk about ad nauseum and for a very good reason. If you like today's episode, the best way to support the show is, of course, to share with your friends. Follow me wherever you listen to podcasts. Next week, I'm so excited. I'm doing another solo episode. I promised you guys a couple weeks ago um, that I was going to do an episode about New Year's resolutions and how to actually keep them. We are going to tailor that conversation towards drinking less and going for mocktails based on the responses you guys gave me on Instagram. It seems like you really want to um, learn some more about how you can live that low alcohol life, especially around, you know, New Year's resolution creation and dry January. So I got you on that. I'll see you next week.